Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Coleman, sitting in the safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Manny. is actually supposed to be uh, out on tour. It's supposed to be playing in Cleveland uh, tonight. Why? Why would anyone well, want to go to Cleveland? Well, uh, you know, it was part of a whole string of dates. Uh, the iguanas were had had have had this this uh, week of dates scheduled for a couple of months. Uh, we're out there supposed to be supposed to be out there backing uh, Kevin Gordon, great singer songwriter from uh, uh, he's actually from North Louisiana, based out of Nashville. We were doing a bunch of uh, of co bills. We're we we're going to be backing him up and and doing our own sets, but. Uh, you know, it just couldn't happen. We looked, looking at it 10 days out, we thought, mm, we're probably going to get out there and uh, this thing's going to wind up getting shut down. So we thought rather than uh, have the whole thing fall apart, it'd be better to postpone it. So we, uh, we're rescheduling for the end of March. Well, that's, and, okay, cool. That's cool. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, it yep. is what it is, man. Right, right. Yes, we're shut it all react. down. That's what I want to do. Shut it all down. Well, yes, yes, and and that's that's what we're having to do at the moment here. It seems like the only prudent thing, but uh, you know, this uh, uh, it, it it rates go up, rates come back down. So um, you know, look to the future, and uh, you know, hopefully, this thing will will be settling down at some point in the future. It it did allow me to uh, to make a a recording session yesterday that that I was going to have to miss. And uh, it was a recording session. The only person that wasn't affiliated with the Troubled Men podcast was the artist who was, had come in from Nashville himself. And but it was uh, Ben Elman from Galactic was producing the session. Former guest. Uh, it was recorded at Goat's uh, uh, House of One Thousand Hertz Studio, and the drummer was Doug Belote. Doug, yeah, how is Doug doing? He's doing good, man. All all three of those guys were uh, were in good form. It was uh, great to be there, and uh, got some some good work done. So that was one silver lining to the uh, the the tour cancellation. And I actually spoke to uh, Kevin Gordon, the 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 artist that we were supposed to be out with, and he said, "Yeah, well, since uh, it looks like we might have have some dates added to the tour when it actually does happen in March, so." You know, maybe it'll all work out for the best. Well, I've always, you know, said that we should fear the future, Renee. You know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, we should fear it because you don't know what's there. You can always plan ahead and all that, but fearing it's the way I, I feel, you know. And I'm sorry your show got canceled, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it is what it is. People ain't doing it, man. They're not doing the right thing. Right, you know? right, and but you know Mardi Gras is going to happen no matter what. They're going to have Mardi Gras. I saw they were going to have Mardi Gras, and I saw like Mardi Gras balls. You know, they reinstituted the mask mandate in New Orleans. So, so well, I mean, people already uh, mask a lot of times with Mardi Gras balls, but not the kind of mask they're going to need. Not the, the well, they, they wear those a... KKK mask uh, during most of those balls. <laughs> 
Marsh, right? (laughs) Kind of looks like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The 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 pointy pointy hoods and some of them. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely. But uh, but didn't doesn't really contain the doesn't really protect your your uh, your. your Well, the city has to have it because it's going to go broke if it doesn't have it. They have to have Mardi Gras. It doesn't matter how many people die, you know, during Mardi Gras, and not even from COVID. But just from, you know, uh, being run over by a float or being shot as a bystander, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, they have to have it because if they don't, the city will just, it's just going to go broke. Yeah, there's, there's always a certain amount of risk involved with anything, you know. Just getting out of bed involves risk, you know. Getting in your car, driving down the highway. So it's it's always a, man, a matter of, you know, balancing the, the risks with... Uh, you know, with the, the benefits of, of going ahead with life. Yeah. And speaking of life, you know, mm-hmm. end of the year just went by and a lot of people died towards the end of 2021 and beginning of 2022. I, I noticed a lot of people died. You know, mm-hmm. Betty White died. Right. Uh, uh, my man, John Madden, he died. John Madden, right. Yeah, Sidney Poitier died. Sidney Poitier, uh, yeah, Peter Bogdanovich, I saw and, die. Uh, uh, Cicely Tyson, and uh, oh, you know they were all great people. But there was one person, uh, uh, Didion. Didion died. Um, Joan, Joan Didion. Didion. Yeah, and I always found her very annoying. You know, huh? Really? Because <laughs> yeah, uh, every every time I you know for the past 30, 40 years of my life, I was staying in a hotel or motel. It was always the Didion's Bible. And I thought, Jesus, come on, give me a break, lady. Yeah, every yeah. time I go to a room, I have to see your Bible, this Didion's Bible. And it kind of pissed me off. So I'm glad she's gone and I don't have to, you know, see her Bible in the in the hotels anymore, you know? Okay, I'm not I'm not sure you got that exactly right, Manny, but somebody else who just passed away uh last night, uh terrible loss, Ronnie Spector. Uh, great yeah, you know, singer Spectre, from the, yeah. the, the Ronettes, yeah. uh, married to, to Phil Spector at one time. You know, I actually had the privilege of uh, of of playing Fucking with her. Ronnie Spector one time. <laughs> no, Manny. No, of, uh, of backing her up. I, I did a show in uh, in New York at the City Winery. It was a, an Alex Chilton tribute a year or so after he passed away, and they had all these great artists on there, and uh, Ronnie Spector came and, and, and played and, uh, and got, to, got to do three numbers with her. So that was a Didn't a, a Keith great Richards, honor. you know, uh, uh, they were an item. Weren't her and Keith Richards an item for a while? Way back in the in the late sixties, that's that's a possibility. I could see. Yeah, I think uh, it was know. like the early sixties. Okay, uh, that's that's yeah. yeah. I think they were because if I remember in his book, he he talks about him banging her for a while in the, their first American tour or something, hanging out. In okay, uh, uh, that like does that. kind of ring a bell. That does yeah. kind of ring a bell, you know. Yeah, and he's still alive though. He is. He is. Well, she was alive until yesterday, so. You know, it's uh, it's it's day by day, Manny. Well, yeah, that's true. But I'm not going to any funerals, man, because Manny doesn't go to funerals, man. No. I don't go to funerals. Biggest waste of time. Hello? Yeah, yeah, I thought you had um, more to say on that. <laughs> oh, no, I just, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm not going to funerals, man. I don't like funerals. I only go to funerals if they're like immediate family. I mean, I won't even go to your funeral, Renee, when you die. Okay. I'm not going to your funeral. You think you're going to outlast me, Manny? 
if I do, I don't not I'm not going to your funeral. And you guys bury fast though, so that's cool. You know, you guys bury pretty fast. I actually recall you and I having a discussion one time about uh, about having uh, having each other taxidermied. Like whoever died uh, first, <laughs> would the other one would would have them have them stuffed. <laughs> Well, I don't remember that conversation, but that you know, we can look into that. But no, I, I want to be uh, burned to a crisp. You know, that's huh, what I okay. want to do. You know, I'm not. Uh, right. You know, funerals to me are the uh, biggest waste of time, and cemeteries are, you know, big, biggest waste of prime real estate. You know, and uh, so I don't go to funerals, man. Never will. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Actually, our guest uh, has a, has a good uh, cemetery tie-in. We're going to get to that when we uh, when we when we, uh, when we dig into his story. But I uh, recall from he was buried previous, alive. Uh, well, I don't know about that. That's we'll have to ask him about that. But uh, but uh, I do recall call a, a whole tale that's been told on the podcast uh, before that involves a, a cemetery visit that he's he was a party to. So we'll we'll dig into that. Um, well, in in other news, other Renee news. Uh, the geraniums record uh, finally came out on sunday it's a, a 20 song collection of of recordings that were made between like uh, 2010 and 2016 you know we've uh, we've lost uh, the drummer and the singer the drummer damon shea and then the singer brendan gallagher passed away just a few months ago and uh jeff treffinger who's actually going to be our guest next week uh, he and I went through all this material that we, we had uh, recorded over the years and uh, picked our favorite mixes. Is Connie uh, on that record? It finally is on that record, yes, man. You'll be able to, uh, to, to have uh, Connie's kind of love. Uh, you, know, you can listen to it at will, and that's, that's available on Bandcamp at the uh, Geranium's uh, Bandcamp page now. And Hasn't Jeff already been on the show? Uh, Jeff has been on the show, but, uh, you know, as we always say, uh, people uh, should have a part two. Well, this is going to be Jeff's part two. He's got plenty to talk about. It's been He was actually one of our first guests in the, the first uh, 20 or, or so shows, so it's been a long time for him. Several years. Cool. So what else is going on with you? The, the, uh, the kids are still off campus? Uh, yeah, they're still off campus. Um... Not much going on. I uh, I uh, just been working my ass off. I got a haircut today. You know that's about mm -hmm. it. You know my haircut, and my barber. He he died actually a few months ago. Back right around Thanksgiving, he died. But he had not been very. You know his barber shop has been open, but he hasn't really been cutting hair much because he's like ninety eight years old. But he finally kicked the bucket. Uh, or right before Thanksgiving, and uh, I didn't go to that funeral either. Um, but uh, I still, uh, he left the barber shop to these, you know, those hipster doofus type guys with the, with the beards mm -hmm. and the tattoos and the chicks with the tattoos and stuff. And uh, they're running the show now, and he left, he left the business to them, uh, which was very nice of Bud to do that. You know, he was like, uh, I think he cut his last head about uh, six months ago, and that you know that was all she wrote for him. But uh, you know, it was I was I was sorry to hear that he he left. But uh, you know, ninety eight years old, he uh, he did all right. Oh, jeez, <laughs> yeah, he had a good run there. Yeah, he had a good run. He lived through World War Two. He uh, he. Uh, 
he was a veteran. He uh, did. Uh, he spoke at the World War II Museum down here in New Orleans. He was a he was a guest on the Ellen Show, and because uh, Ellen's from Louisiana, and and that's when he came out. He came out as an LGBTQ guy on the Ellen Show about eight years ago. Um, so no uh, he you know he lived a great life. So let's get our guest in here, Manny. How about that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, our guest is a, an excellent bass player, vocalist, songwriter. Uh, he plays with such bands as uh, Dream Syndicate, uh, founding member of the Continental Drifters, uh, play with Giant Sand, on and on, a bunch of other groups. We'll get to all that. Without further ado, the great Mr. Mark Walton. Welcome, Mark. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. Right on, right on, man. <laughs> I'm very, very happy to be here. Uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled to have you, Mark. But you you're missing a, a party to be here, Mark? Well, yeah, you know, there's just some people that uh, you all know. The, uh, one of uh, Renee's uh, band leaders, Susan Cowsill and uh, Russ are out here in Las Vegas uh, playing t tomorrow night, uh, and they're having a party for Russ's mom and Susan's cousin birthday party that I missed. Oh, oh man. man! Well, I thought it was going to actually start after this meeting, but uh, or this uh, this podcast. But uh -huh. uh, Russ told me about two hours ago it was starting at five o'clock. It's already six o'clock. So, <laughs> oh, jeez, jeez, that's a pretty early party. I don't know, I, I know I, tonight I, or something. Well, you know, you know, Sydney's kind of getting up there in age. Maybe she didn't want to party too late. I don't know. Okay, I got you. I got you. Well, uh, yes, there's so many connections with, that you have with, uh, with, <laughs> with the Troubled Men podcast, Mark, and just rock and roll in general. Well, let, let's, let's uh, go back to your, your, your earlier days in, in L.A. So wh where did you grow up, Mark? Well, I, actually, I'm an Air Force brat. I was born in Fairfield, California, moved to you know, Wyoming, Colorado, Puerto Rico, Nebraska, New Jersey, mm -hmm. and then I finally moved to L.A. in 1970. Oh, okay. So you you spent uh, like your your high school years in in L.A. Oh yeah, <laughs> I spent the seventies in L.A., which was a, a dangerous time for people, especially me. Yeah. Huh. And what what part of L.A. did you live in? Well, I lived in the slums of Beverly Hills. Oh okay. wow! So you were you were south of Pico? Uh, no, north of Pico. I was at you know the you're from L.A., right, Manny? Yes. Right. So uh, La Cienega, Wilshire, right? You know where the Fine Arts Theater is? Sure. Right behind it. My house was directly behind it. La Cienega, Wilshire. Wow. So you did you, where did you go? Uh, Fairfax or Beverly, Beverly Hills High? Beverly Hills High School, yeah. And, you know, Beverly Hills High, that's um, right. Uh, Buddy Hackett had his house right across Beverly Hills High. Did he? I didn't know that. You know that house right there uh, that has all the sculptures of baby elephants <laughs> no i don't know you don't remember I mean, that at beverly you know, I, I, I did a lot of things in high school that make me forget a lot of things <laughs> okay all right yeah so that was the era <laughs> buddy hackett had a house across the street from beverly hills high and it had baby elephant sculptures and because well, I I remember right across the front lawn there was a bunch of apartment buildings. I don't remember houses directly there, so I'm kind of confused. Well, I remember Beverly Hills High because I went to Uni High on the west side. Yeah. And um, 
Beverly Hills High was like the first school I, I found out that had their own like TV station. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know, we had our own tennis courts and our swimming pool that was uh, famous for being in the, uh, the Jimmy Stewart movie, you know, that really f Christmas sad story that, you know, the dancing and then the pool, op uh, the floor opens up and they all fall into the pool. That's Beverly Hills High School, too. Damn. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, and they had a big track. They had an oil rig, too. Uh, yes, they did. They had their own oil rig there in case Beverly, no in case Beverly Hills had a shortage of gasoline, they could pump their own oil and make gas. <laughs> That's that was off of Doheny, wasn't it? Uh, off of uh, Olympic. Yeah, Olympic, Olympic, and near Doheny or or La Cienega, right around there. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were ahead out there in Beverly Hills. You know, uh, you know, they had the money to build all that stuff. There. Yeah, right. So were you playing in bands in high school, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I had a couple bands I was playing with. Uh, we had a band called Hammerhead and then uh, another band before that called Oz. <laughs> and, okay. uh, uh, and then after that, uh, I, you know, I, I was a good friend of mine, Andy Alfe, uh, that uh, we we always wanted to, you know, start different bands and do different things. And we started a band in the maybe right after high school called the automatics. And we played around the club scenes, or, you know, all the same places everybody else plays. Okay. Were you a bass player at that time? Were yeah. you kind of just, just pit, picking it up off of records and, or uh, just learning from other guys in the scene? Yeah. Just playing. I never took a lesson. We just said, let's just play music and just start figuring out. And, and, yeah. Just, just figuring it out off of records. We didn't play many covers. We just wanted to write songs and play originals and make it up as we went. Huh, okay. And were you into like, what kind of bands were you into at that time? Like, like, you know, popular bands or. Oh, Rolling Stones, you know, was one of the main ones, of course. Okay. And, uh, you know, of course, Beatles, all the same, you know, sixties kind of things that we all seem to gravitate to towards you know then it got into led zeppelin and then rolling stones and uh the uh, even like a lot of soul i was really into um uh sly and the family stone mm -hmm. whatever you know it was, but it was it was all rock and roll based so when did you graduate high school 77 okay all right so i was graduating junior high in 77 um, oh, you're just a, a young wee little. Yeah, you're I'm a couple of years older than us. Yeah. just just a couple. <laughs> um, Don't make me sound too old. Okay? But I mean, no, you're no, in no. high school. But like any high school kid, a senior in high school, you're going out. And I know you're a musician, but who are you going? Who? What locally bands are you seeing? What bands locally? Oh, back then, yeah, there was all of them. There were, uh, you know, you'd, you'd see the Knack and. Uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I, I would do all kinds of stuff. You know, back then they had the, the Don Kirshner rock concert. Yeah. Things. I would find those tickets and go down and see them. I saw uh, Billy Preston doing that. That was really awesome. Nice, yeah, man. All kinds of different shows. I, I, I didn't have a, you know, a, a favorite. I just wanted to see anything and everything at that point. I was, I was hungry, as they say. Right. So then the the early '80s rolls around. It's a it's a hotbed of all these bands. You you have like the 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 uh, Paisley Underground starting. Um, those those bands are percolating up. And and uh, how do you wind up in the Dream Syndicate? Well, okay. Well, first I'll I'll go back a little bit. 1979. My my band, the Automatics, were rehearsing in the garage, of course. And uh, you know we got the 
police called on us a lot of times. And eventually we started going out and trying to find a rehearsal studio, which was really kind of hard to find at that time. So uh, there was a band called Uncle that uh, had a studio and I started rehearsing there and I thought, this is kind of cool. This is what I should do. And I, I actually offered to just take the studio away <laughs> and, and, and just uh, improve what they had started. And I did. So I, I opened that up in 1979 and I went on and it's still going. My brother's running it to this day. No kidding. Yeah. So long time. Um, so from that, I've met tons of people. You know, I just, hmm. you know, everybody that, you know, played in LA at that time came through the studio. And I, I you know, I was, uh, the, my band broke up and everybody went their own ray, way. And I, I just said, well, I, I got to learn to write songs. I got to do this. So, I, you know, everybody that came in, I was, hey, you want to go in the studio and record something? You want to do this? You want to do that? Mm, right. <laughs> I just went around in circles, you know, and I, I played with like Phil Seymour and John Napolitano, Julie Christensen, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of great studio session players and whatever i had uh, uh, just a, a that was my education right there i just right. was like okay this is great all these great people coming in and out of the studio um and then you know i had a, i started a band and i was trying to get a demo deal for it and uh, you know i went off to uh, uh see uh you know different demo deals from uh like clover studios in hollywood and i walked in there and i was talking to him and that's where like bruce springsteen did the river and all that and he produced it the guy that owns it chuck plunkin mm. and uh there was this girl laying down on the couch and it was susan Kelso. that's when i first met susan oh. And then, like, the next year, the council started rehearsing at the studio. Was she a uh, awake or passed out? She was passed out. Okay. But she wa she did wake up, and I do, uh, you know, I did, uh, I was introduced to her at that point. But uh, she doesn't remember that. <laughs> wow, you guys go, you guys go way back. Yeah, yeah. We, we met a long time ago. But then, yeah, they, her and her brothers all came in. But, you know, the, the Paisley Underground thing, I was sort of adjacent. I was always, you know, friends with lots of people that were involved with that scene. And um, uh, I, I was introduced to Steve Wynn and uh, Carl Pakoda uh, at a friend's house. And we, um, you know, not real good friends, but we kind of remained friends. One day I was working at the studio and Carl Pakota just walked in and he said, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm working, man. And he's like, no, I meant for like, you know, I don't know, at least the next couple of months or a year or two. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, <laughs> pulls out three, you know, their demo, their first EP and the, the you know, Days of Wine and Roses and the Medicine show that was just being released that week, really. And, uh, uh -huh. He said, well, you know, we're going on tour with REM uh, in a week and a half, and I was wondering if you would like to play bass with us. And I was like, what? Um, I said, okay, sure, why not? Let's try it. And so that was it. So is that the first time you ever went on a, on the road with a band like that, touring the, the U.S.? Yeah, it was. Nice. So, you know, it was a, it was a nice uh, way to do it. You know, we had the big tour bus and, you know, big you know, A&M Records was footing the bill and uh, it was it was fun. It was right. Really fun. Playing in front of huge crowds and all like, uh, uh, I, I guess you you could 
could say you had been paying dues on the local scene for a good long time. So. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played with lots of different people and I'd learned different styles and everything. And, you know, at the time when they did that, I was like, God, you know, the first album at the time, I didn't really, you know, get the Days of Wine and Roses. It was too lo-fi for me. I was like, mm. you know, I was trying to do something that was a little more, you know, pop and, and, and mainstream sounding, you know. And I thought, well, that was where the money was kind of thing. But after playing with them, I was like, wow, this is great. You know, uh, I, I I understand the the the, the direction and, and where people uh, are coming from, and so uh, I, I really enjoyed that learning experience. But the medicine shows what sold me to do the tour initially, because okay. I thought, well, this is cool. I have to listen to. It. I was like, okay, I, I can get into this. This is good. I like it. Right. And, and man, that was the the college radio heyday uh, at the, at that time. So yeah. 1984 yeah it's uh it must have been crazy man and, and you guys went on and toured europe as well at, with, with that well, time yeah yeah we did a whole year of touring we only toured with rem in the states though so um mm -hmm. yeah we went off and did a big long tour in europe and came back and then toured around america again and then went back to and went to japan too so that was that was a, that was a kick haven't gone back since that was the only time i've been to japan yeah well you're not missing much <laughs> <laughs> now who was who was the guitar player the lead guitarist at that time yeah, Car carl carl, carl yes yeah. yeah and when and so when does kendra you quit the band and kendra takes over no no i didn't quit I've, i'm still playing with them um kendra's the original bass player she quit and you know they, they she only did the very first record because I remember seeing the Dream Syndicate at the Roxy. It must have been 1982 because Kendra was still in the band. Yeah, that would have made sense. Because in 83, Dave Provost was brought in, uh, and he toured with them a little bit and, and recorded the Medicine Show. Okay. And then, then that's when he he was out. Then you know they brought. I think me this in. is when Halloween was the big thing. The Halloween. Yeah. That was that first Days of Wine and Roses record. Right, right. And I'll never forget that show. It was yeah, 1982, and I, was, I didn't know who the Dream Syndicate was. I was dragged to the show. I was just, we're going to the Roxy, man, and let's go see this band. And it was one of the most amazing shows I ever saw. I mean, it was one of those shows like when Jim Morrison played the whiskey and did the end. You know, everyone was just like, you know, just focus on the band and the band was focused on the audience. And it was just like this synergy that was going on. And, um, and then about the next day there was an earthquake. So that was weird. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah I, I actually only saw the dream syndicate play once. It was at the music machine, but it was a big show dream syndicate, uh, the rain parade and the bangs, which was the pre bangles. Right, yeah, and dream, and yeah, and yeah, that uh, dream, uh, the music machine was a great club on, on the west side, of Pico Boulevard, uh, close to uh, where I grew up, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah close to that neighborhood. It's right I near, like, kind of like McCabe's. Yeah, right? it's near McCabe's. It's near one of my favorite Mexican restaurants, Talpa. Uh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, that's so good. Is Talpa the best, man? Is uh, it still there? Oh yeah, but the original owner sold to all the waitresses that work there. 
the waitresses now own it. Nice. Yeah, which was kind of cool. And I actually yeah, was nice, there. Nice. I was there last May because I went to L.A. in May, and I, I had to go get my f- Talpa fill. You know. Okay. But they're still there. The music machine's not there though anymore, is it? I don't think so. I think that's been transformed into some kind of warehouse or something. But was it across the music machine? There was that place called Rent a Wreck. Yeah. Remember yeah. that place? Yeah, I do. Right, it's right in the corner. Yeah. Yeah, you could rent or under the freeway, you could rent a piece of shit car. Renee, this was the best place ever. I, I, I remember when they had that company that came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can get, I mean, there. some cool old cars. Though. I mean, it's in like an early 60s, five, like Mustang or, you know, something you know, trashy, but it was a, a cool version of the car. Right. Or you could just yeah. rent a piece of shit car that was a lemon, <laughs> you know. For, for $10 a day. Yeah, for yeah, 10 yeah. bucks a day, you know, go out on a date or whatever. Did you ever actually rent one? No, I didn't. I never rented one, but I always thought about it. I knew people who did, and they always paid for it later in the end. Yeah, they always regretted it. <laughs> yeah, they always regretted it. Uh, yeah, I rented one to take this girl on a date, and it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see where that goes. I actually had I had a '67 Mustang, and I took a date to see Elvis Costello down at the Long Beach Arena on Valentine's Day. I thought it was going to be the most romantic thing, and I was driving back, and my car, the engine blew up, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <my laughs> and goodness. I had to push it off the the freeway off ramp, and I was in a really bad neighborhood somewhere. And I had to call a friend, <laughs> and you know. Two o'clock in the morning. To help me. Your date was not impressed. No, she was not impressed because she was all dolled up and high heels, and she oh, was. Brother, she, I was like, yeah, I need you to help. You know, steer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> steer the car. Put your back push. into it. <laughs> well, so uh, so so, Mark, it's some. So you're playing with the with the Dream Syndicate for for a few years there. At some point, you cross paths with uh, the notorious Carlo Nuccio. Yeah, well, you know that was on our uh, an album we made in 1986 called Out of the Gray. Uh, that's actually being re released tomorrow on Fire Records. Oh, cool! Little plug for you. Uh, but uh, our engineer, Jim Hill, uh, referred us to Carlo to be our drum tech. That's when I first met him. Huh, okay. So he, was, he tuned our drums for that session and played, and I, I heard him just go out there, set them up, and, play, and tune them and play them. I went, holy shit, <laughs> this guy's, he's a monster, you know? right. And actually, our drummer, Dennis, he probably doesn't want me to tell the story, but he, he basically said, uh, you know, you're going to have to tell him to leave. Uh, he's, you know, kind of intimidated him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, tell him to leave, please. <laughs> didn't, didn't want Carlo breathing down his neck. Yeah, you know how Carlo can be anyway. So, you know, sure. he's like, yeah. And Carlo loves Dennis, too, you know, this day. He, he loves the way he plays. Right. And, you know, he's just a, a, a great person. But, uh, well, it's funny. he... Carlo probably owes him money too, so that. Could well, Carlo owes everyone money, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, but but you get so much in return because he, he, he's so giving. Uh, well, so at some point, you and Carlo wind up being roommates, though, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we started playing in a, in a band called Laughing Sam's Dice for a while, and it's a good band. It was a really good band from like '87 to 1990. And it was overlapping during the Dream Syndicate times and when I was in mm-hmm. town playing. Uh, and then uh, I ended up 
uh, moving out of my apartment in Studio City and I couldn't find anywhere to live. And finally, I, I went to two different locations. Finally, he called me and said, listen, you know, I was, he was living in this little shack in Studio City, a little tiny, you know, 800 square foot, two bedroom house with Billy Bremner. And Billy was leaving and he said, you know, I need a roommate. And I said, okay, I'll take it because I, I knew the place. It was, mm. a, it was a dump at the time. Uh, it had five refrigerators around the house and two stoves <laughs> and five TVs and all kinds of shit. So I moved in and I, it, it was on a very steep driveway too. And I remember I, my, my brother-in-law is a, a contractor and he was doing a bunch of shit. And he goes, oh, you, you got to get rid of that stuff. Huh? Hey, you can just take this truck. So I took the truck. I, I went to the bottom of the driveway, left it open, and I rolled down all of the shit the driveway stoves and refrigerators and whatever chairs it was it was just amazing you know and he came home mm. he's like what did you do with all that stuff I, said, I just put it in this truck and my brother-in-law took it to the dump for me it's done gone and then peter and susan and vicky because we already started uh, the continental drifters at that juncture and um you know I, I i called them in and said listen we got to paint this place so they all pitched it and, and painted. I remember Peter meticulously peeling all the old paint off the door to be able to paint it so it looked nice. All right, Peter Holzapple, Vicki Peterson, Susan Cowsell. So you so you have the the uh, the 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 star team to come and, and paint the inside. Right. The we were like, we gotta make this place look more respectable. Because that's where we all started hanging out and we called it the batch pad. And uh, we all sat around and just played acoustic guitars all night and drank three or four cases of beer and had multiple beer runs. And, uh, we just had a great time. You know, that was it to us. We were just like, oh, this is so much fun. And um, it just, you know, finally it extended to where, like, we got to start playing shows, go, go do different things. So, yeah, it, it was, it was a, a fun time. Now, Manny, this is the the period of time when you and Carlo are, have have hooked up, right? Um, what year is this now? Late eighties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, well, or, Carlo, Carlo is hanging out at Raji's. He's yeah, he he's, was doing sound. Yeah, there. he's doing, doing the board at Raji's, and that's you know, and I met Carlo kind of uh, uh, through Xander Schloss. Um, and, uh, uh, Bob Forrest and those guys. Cause yeah. you know, it was that area of Hollywood between Gower and Cahuenga fountain and sunset, which, which was becoming a big, uh, hub for a lot of the, the, the music scene and stuff. And that's how I, I really got to know Carlo. Um, and he, you know, he, he was Carlo and, uh, <laughs> he was. As he's always so, so, so Manny, I, I gotta tell you, I did go see two free stooges once. Oh God. When <laughs> uh, it was at the lingerie that you probably remember the show because Carlo hired my guitar player and the dream cynic and good friend, Paul B. Cutler to do you sound. Sure. You remember yeah. that night? Yeah. yeah. And, was that the night where. Me and Dick Rude pretended to get in this huge fist fight on stage, and I walked off stage. And then it was it was that time when Iggy Pop's "Candy" song was a big pop hit, and you know, "Candy, Candy, I Can't Let You Go." And then Dick starts singing, "Manny, Manny, Manny, I Can't Let You Go." I don't know if that was the show or not. You know, I I don't remember that. I just remember. Halfway through the show, 
the sound went out. And I looked back at Paul and he's zeroing out the mixing console and turning it off. And he walks to the bar and orders a drink. <laughs> I remember that show. Hey, Every, I mean, <laughs> yeah, everything went out. And now, and now since we're no longer singing songs, me and Dick have to fill with jokes and try to make people laugh and all that kind of stuff. And I've ran out of my jokes. You know? Yeah, well, that's why Paul turned you off because you were telling a bunch of you know, uh, jokes <laughs> that he didn't appreciate too much. He went, fuck, fuck these guys. What a bunch of what, – what, fuck them. <laughs> and, 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 and Paul, Paul is not the guy to be offended very easily. You know, He used to do sound at the uh, 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 – what's the – the club downtown, not Madame Wong's, but the other one. The, uh, oh, the, uh, the punk rock de- show, uh, club. Uh, uh, fuck, okay. what's it? Can't remember that place. But well, I'm getting too old. But so he used to do sound there. It was all the punk rock shows. So he, you know, he would do sound, and and he would tell me some dice. He would he would have a mic at the at the board, and he would be yelling at them through their monitors, not through the house system, but telling people like, fuck you, you suck, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, he doesn't care. I mean, he, he just like just did whatever he wanted to do. He's- well, I remember that show because we were like sitting there having to tell jokes, and the crowd is getting like uneasy. It's like, come on, play some music, play some music. And this went on and on. And, um, uh, our sound guy, Xander's trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, Louis Matthew, remember Louis Matthew? Oh, uh, yeah, I just saw Louis. They were the, the circle jerks when they played here a couple of months uh, ago. Louis's yeah. a great kid. L- Louis's great. You know, I didn't even recognize him, though. It's like, hey, you know, where's Louis? And he's, he's standing, he's like, I'm right in front of you, dude. I'm like, <laughs> oh, shit. That's <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah, well, kind of, but, you know, he he's totally, he does look different. He was a kid then. Now he's an actual man, you know. Yeah, yeah. He uh, was, and, but he was—he's been a—he was a roadie since he was a kid. I mean, he was like—that's what I mean. Yeah, fourteen-year-old roadie and stuff like mm, that. Okay, you know. But Louis was trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and I think, um, what's that uh, filmmaker guy? That local guy, Louis. Uh, I forget his name, but I—I I think there's some documentation of that show where we're just sitting there going, and you know the other thing. <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> My parents were at that show. jeez. <laughs> oh, That's what I remember the most. My parents yeah. were at that show. See, I'm at, I was at one of the most historical shows that you've ever done. <laughs> and, and I remember also, um, you know, having to fill, you know, like, you know, like when you see those uh, live TV shows and the guys behind the camera taking stretch, his hands and going, stretch. fill, right. fill, <laughs> fill, you know, stretching and all that. And I'm just thinking that. So I'm telling like, the worst jokes, the most horrific jokes. Well, they the couldn't most- hear you when Paul did it. So somebody, I don't know who it was, maybe it was the house sound man, ran to the board and started trying to like get levels again and push up the faders. And, uh, oh, gosh. It, it was hysterical. I was laughing my ass off. And, 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 and at your expense, but you know what? It was a good show. Okay. The audience was entertained. They were entertained, I think. Nice, nice. So there you go. Two free studios. Big punk. Oh, you know, that's punk story. rock for you, man. Yeah, you just yeah. have to pull through. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and the know. club downtown, by the way, was the Hong Kong cat. That's right. That's so right. I just, just popped in my head. Yeah. There you go. You got it. Well, Manny, this seems like a good time to take a break, don't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to pee like the Hoover Dam right now. So uh, uh, we're going to take a break, and the Troubled Nation knows what to do, man. So go get yourself a refill, and we'll be right back. 
And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Mark Walton. Now, Mark, uh, it's, a, it's a new year, but uh, we're still looking for a new sponsor. Uh, we're back to our original sponsor, which is Loose Change. Uh, so the Troubled Nation understands it's a, it's a listener-supported operation. So, uh, you know, wherever they find loose change uh, in their, their uh, pants pockets or uh, under the seat of the car, couch cushions or... Uh, Are there children's piggy bank? It's a donation yes. then, right? So Sure, yes. Oh, it's, it's everybody a, donate money, in other words. Go ahead. Yes, yes. Ahead. You can contribute to the cause. You know, we're, we're, we're uh, cranking out shows every week, uh, bringing you fantastic guests like, like our, our current guest. And uh, you can get involved and support the operation. Uh, we have the, uh, the Venmo link and the PayPal link there in the show notes and the, the Facebook page. And uh, we also have a, a Patreon page that uh, you can sign up and, and uh, support us week in and week out. Uh, we also, again, have the Facebook and Instagram accounts. Uh, uh, like us on those, follow us, and uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, give us a five-star review. Uh, uh, tell your friends about the podcast, and uh, you know, we can, can keep this thing going. Back to you, Mark. So, so when 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 last we left you, uh, you were living with Carlo Nuccio. The the Continental Drifters were were just uh, starting out. You guys were hanging around, playing in the in the the living room, and you decide to take it out and, and you start playing a, a regular gig at Raji's, and uh, it it gained steam. You have uh, all these uh, people dropping by all the time, and, and it kind of starts to coalesce into, into a core group. You know, uh, I think with you, with, with your appearance here, we will have uh, had half of the, the Continental Drifters on the podcast at one time or, or another. I was counting, there's, there's like uh, 10 people were in the band that, that are listed. Oh, officially, yeah. The, uh, officially. Yeah. And, and, and you will be the fifth one we've had on. We had uh, Vicki Peterson, Susan Cousill, Carlo Nuccio, and Russ Bruce well, on the show. That's and, a big and, bit, yeah. But Peter refuses to come on. Peter declined. Uh, so I still have uh, Robert Mache and Ray Ganesho and uh, uh, you know Gary Eaton and Danny Magoo and maybe maybe Peter will finally warm up to to, well, to the Troubled Men. Podcast. Yeah, you never know. Wear him down. You never know with Peter. So uh, you know the the Troubled Nation already knows a lot about the the Continental Drifters. Was is what I'm saying. You know, so we don't have to cover anything. We don't have to cover it in, in detail. You know, Carlo actually came back for a second episode himself, and that was almost entirely devoted to the epic tale of the Continental Drifters uh, driving from L.A. to New Orleans uh, and then and back. back. Yeah. Oh, my God. And on the way back is, is and I actually re-listened to some of that today to, to remember. So he, he told you the story of the Pope. Yes, he told told the whole story, and now he he doesn't point any, any accusing fingers at you. Oh, well, you know he he pointed fingers at everybody at that time. So, well, as as Carlo is is known to do, <laughs> yes, it's always someone else's fault. But uh, and he's the hero of the story, which I I tend to believe he. Well, he, you know, know, the fuel filter part is a true story. He he said it a bunch of times, and, and by the time <laughs> it died, uh, you know, the the, the RV died. Uh, he, he's he we wake him up, and he's like, 
I told you to get the fuel fill. Did you get the? No, we didn't. And of course, that's where it became uh, like everybody's running to a different por- portion of the, the van. And, and <laughs> that's episode 146. It's called uh, Carlo Nuccio's Continental Drift is the title of that. If ever, anybody wants to uh, yeah, uh, revisit you the, hear that. that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tedious story. but it's uh, Well, it's pretty entertaining the way he tells it. It's, it's, it, it might, might be more tedious if you had lived through it and to, to hear it back. Well, I've heard, I, heard, I hear it almost every time you know, we talk about it. Because you know, Gary Eaton did write a song about that trip. Okay. Yeah, we never recorded it, but uh, yeah, we used to play it live a lot. So there was a song about it, and then you know things happened, and so it became epic. And you know, so the Pope became uh, part of our, our our being, basically. You know. <laughs> so uh, that's y'all's first trip to New Orleans, but then the the band winds up relocating to New Orleans. Uh, uh, you live here for for a good bunch of years. That's when I first meet you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're playing with the Continental Drifters, but then also playing with like thousand dollar car um, periodically, yeah. and some other people. We would cross paths all the time. I thought, oh, what a what a sweet guy, great bass player. Uh, uh, so uh, well, that's, uh, that's when I first took a shine to you, Mark. Yeah, I know, and, and I you know I appreciated everything you did. I used to come see you all play with the iguanas all the time. It was one of my favorite things to do to go down to Cafe Brazil and hang out because I was living down on Spain Street at that time. So I would just walk okay. out and hang out and get drunk and stumble around for a while. Sure, sure. That's that's when it was uh, safe to do that. Safer to do that. Well, I don't know. They told me I shouldn't be doing it even then. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but somehow we all made it through. Yeah. With, with no problem. It's funny because my wife, you know, uh, I met her soon after I moved there, and we had our first child, and and you know, we moved, you know we were living at the same you know uh, uh, slave quarter on Spain Street, and uh, my wife finally just decided this is not the area we should be raising a kid. So the, we moved out and moved it to Lakeview at that point. <laughs> is she a New Orleans girl? Yeah, big family. And where do you live now? In Las Vegas. Well, wow, that's amazing that you got a New Orleans girl to leave New Orleans. I uh, know. Well, you know, it was Katrina. Katrina happened. You know? oh, okay. our, our, every, our house was totally destroyed. Everything we owned was lost. Uh, you know, it was it was tragic, as as most people know from New Orleans. Uh, now, where do like, you? Li- what part of Vegas you live in? On the west side, um, near you know, between Sahara and Desert Inn, near uh, Wallapai, if you know where that is. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. I understand. I love Vegas. It's in an area called the Lakes. And it has, a, it has a lake, but it's a man-made lake. Yeah. They have all these ponds that are man-made. My, my house. Everything in Vegas is man-made. Well, everything's fake in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, true. well, yeah. <laughs> fake and man-made, yeah. Well, yeah, well, even, the, even the men and women have fake parts, right? So. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right. 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 Manny's a huge, uh, huge Raiders fan. So. Uh, well, there you go. You're gonna have to come out and visit sometime. I'm going to. Yeah. I, uh, hopefully, uh, maybe when the ticket prices go down. I hear it's. I like, don't think it's gonna do it, dude. It's you know Vegas is Vegas, and they just like to overcharge for everything. Yeah. Well, maybe I can get a coupon or something. I don't know. A <laughs> because I hear the bleacher seats are like three hundred and fifty dollars. Those seats. I have not been to the stadium yet. My my son, who's a big football fan, and of course he's a Saints fan, um, went to the one of the college 
championships there last month or two months ago or something. Yeah. And, yeah, they liked it. My wife and he both went down there. So, but I haven't been it's there. It's a gorgeous yet. looking stadium. They said it was very nice. Very yeah. Nice. I've driven by it. I was, you know, as they were building it, I, I kept, what are they doing? Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, so you're saying uh, Katrina chased you out of town. You know, I was actually reading the, the account of uh, you going through all the, the Continental Drifters tapes that you, that you thought had been ruined in, in Katrina. Um, but turns out after many years, someone had salvaged them and you gained possession of them again. And, and you went back in a, a very emotional uh, effort. Um, emotionally draining effort, but you went back and found that they actually were, were all playable and you transferred them and, and uh, you guys were able to release a 33-song uh, compilation on uh, Omnivore Records a couple of years ago, right? Yeah, I think everybody was, they thought I was crazy because at first I was like, now there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. They kept hounding me. Come on, Mark, you got to have something. I'm like, dude, I don't have nothing. And then finally, I remembered that you know our sound man Disco. I don't know if you all know Disco, but uh, he lives in Florida now. But he comes back occasionally to sound at Tips and other local okay. places. But anyways, he came to my house with me with his truck and a big fan and a bunch of you know outfits just to find you know and and, and you know the search and discover kind of thing. You know, you know uh-huh. he he found the tapes and I was like, dude. They're not going to be good. What are you talking about? I mean, they were on a top shelf in you know in the music room, and 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 hopefully they were better. But I was like, no, that see the water line is just at that same level. That part of Lakeview, you could drive by and you would see the the spray painted. Uh, yeah, I had uh, all stuff that. was on on the roof, right? And a lot of in a lot of cases, that's how high the water was. I, the, yeah, it was, it was at like at, at nine feet. You know, eight eight feet or something at my house. Yeah, it was you know the Jesus. watermarks and everything, and and so it was really disastrous. And, and everything was gone. You know, all my instruments, all the guitars, Vicky's amp, and my my you know a bunch of basses and, oh, and just recording stuff. Everything was gone. And I was like, I was just devastated. And I actually found a bass, and it was like my spare P bass, and it had cracked into three pieces. The body and the neck had fallen off. And I was like, fuck. And I just left it out in the patio and, and, and the drifters played a show uh, for Threadheads. I walked on stage, Robert Mache says, don't play that, play this. And it's like, it's like looking at your dead grandmother that, you know, has been in the ground for five years and it's like Frankenstein and, and it's alive. <laughs> like Come back to life. Yeah. And he actually found that he went by the house, found the damn thing, put it all back together, but he didn't try to make it look better. Right. Uh-huh. He just slapped it together, stuck on some new, you know, frets and, and new wiring. And then here you go. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Cool. You still have that base? I do. I, I can send you a picture of it if you like. But uh, it, it's na- it's nasty. It's it's you know all that sludge and oil and everything's in the grain of the neck. But it plays, huh? Oh yeah. And I I've only played it once. I had a show in Toronto with the Dream Cynic, and I thought I'm going to bring it. I'm just going to bring it and play that. And I did. And I told Robert. He goes, "What? <laughs> it's like, dude, that thing could have just popped in every direction when you started playing it for that long." But it, it's lasted. It's still. It's hanging on my wall. It's amazing. I never thought. I, I didn't. Thought I didn't think it would ever happen. I mean, it's funny because Robert brought it back to Memphis, where he's living. You know, after Katrina, and his wife says, "You ain't putting that in the house. <laughs> Put it in the shed." So he he let it sit out there for about five, six years, just hanging dry. 
uh, until he finally figured out, okay, let me see if I can put it back together. Yeah. And wow. he did. And, uh, I, I love him. <laughs> I love him for that. But, you know, I was so mad when he did. I was like, what are you doing? I started crying. I had all these tears in my eyes on stage, and everybody's like looking like, what's going on? And I'm like, fuck you, put that thing away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 you know that PTSD man. It never really goes away. Oh, it no, gets, it didn't go away. It's buried, that, but uh, it was very there. traumatic to me. So I was like, oh, okay, sure. Fine. But he did the same thing to Vicky's one of her Fender amps. She left it my in my garage. He built that back. He sent it to somebody and gave it to her a few years ago too. So very cool, amazing. Man. Yeah. So yeah, Katrina. Yeah, we didn't know where to go. You know, we had no. You know, I I just. We didn't have any jobs. We didn't have any, you know, any place to live, really. So we just got in the car and started driving west. In Vegas, baby. Yeah, well, my parents retired here, and they had a big enough house to, to load all all five Waltons, uh, my three sons, my wife, and myself. And, uh, now, are your children musical? My youngest is an amazing pianist, you know. My, and my oldest did go to, you know, the same school as my youngest for jazz, and he played a baritone sax during that uh, stint. Okay. And he went to LSU, and uh, it was in the, in the marching band, too, for a while. But he doesn't play right now. I think he, he got another sax, and he's trying to get back into it, though. I hope so. Now, what is it like, what is it like for a musician in Vegas? Uh, do you have to be in the union to play all these hotels? And I don't, stuff I don't like play. That? I don't play. I, I have a real job here. You know, I have a nine to five corporate job. Okay. Uh, I'm a web manager for a big gaming company that makes all the slot machines and, really? and all that crazy stuff. But you're back playing with uh, Dream Syndicate. Dream Syndicate's uh, put out uh, records in the last couple of years, and you guys have been touring. And I know that that you were saying, well, in fact, that brings us to to the. the what prompted you to be on the show so so uh uh kyle malasaw drummer was was on the, the show a few weeks ago and he was talking about being in new york and going to see the dream syndicate recently and hanging out with you and i was saying i was telling you well that's maybe the third or fourth time your name has come up on the podcast and usually that tends to manifest guests much like uh candy the candy man when you say his name three times and you you answered back uh the candy man can yeah so, uh, that's, that's very very clever mark thank you i appreciate that but, but so so uh kyle was telling us that we should have you on and again i you know your name was already in the list but he said man we hung hung out after the show and mark was reeling out these stories that our jaws were on the floor for so he said you got to get him to, to to come on so you know I, I'll, I'll preface it by saying i usually own, usually only tell these stories when i've had quite a few drinks so. <laughs> okay well manny and i are, have been drinking for you so. Oh, okay so uh we'll start with phil phil Linet's base so 1976 you know what was i 11th grade or whatever and um uh, I, you know i had a bunch of friends that were going out to see journey with uh phil's band playing right so the thin lizzie was opening for them uh, and I didn't, I didn't feel good. I, I just stayed home and just chilled out. And, and in the middle of the night, 
I heard some weird noise. And my bedroom was in the garage. My father and I had uh, remodeled it and, and, and actually created a, a room out there. It was my party room, really. You know, mm-hmm. I had like always like at least 15 people in there doing all kinds of nasty stuff. But, um, but that night I was by myself, and I, but I heard all this noise. I'm like, what the hell is that? And, but I passed out and fell asleep. And in the morning, I wake up. And I remembered the noise. So I got up and I went out and I went around the back of the garage or my room. And there leaning against the side of the building is a a Fender case, just a normal Fender, you know, case. And I was like, what the hell is this? So I pick it up and bring it in the house and I open it. And it's this Fender P-Base with a mirror pick guard. And I was like, what the hell is this? Where did this come from? Somebody just like want to surprise me and give me a, a base for for no reason. <laughs> I mean, my, I think it was like a month after my birthday, so I thought it could be a. a <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, but no, there, there's no note, no nothing, and for for like two days, I didn't hear anything. Nobody said anything. Nobody came by. Nothing. I was like, what is going on here? And I had a I had a white. Uh, or you know, uh, ivory colored P base at the time. This is a mm-hmm. black one, right, with a nice mirror pick guard on it. And I was like, oh, I wonder what my my uh, neck would look like on his base, and or whatever base. And then, and I sort of flopping around and just experimenting, doing all kinds so of. You stuff. start take, taking the base apart. Yeah, yeah, apart. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was taking it apart. I'm like, what the? I didn't know. I was like, what the hell? So I'm driving around like three, four days later in Hollywood with a friend of mine and on the radio uh i some guy starts talking about you know four days ago at the santa monica civic auditorium phil on its base was stolen if anyone knows the whereabouts of it no questions asked you know, it'll give you two thousand dollars just call us so i went oh, holy shit is that <laughs> what the hell <laughs> so 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 i go home i call the number and it's a, some rep from Mercury Records. I guess they were signed to them at that time. And he says, okay, you know, give me your address and I'll come right over. And so he came over. And as I, he's driving over, I realized the necks were still <laughs> swapped on the bases. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit. So I had to take them all apart again and put them back together, put the strings on, make sure it played well and did what it did. At least I knew how to do all that kind of stuff pretty well at that point. So. So he arrives, knocks on the door, and he you know, comes in, and uh, I show him the bass, and he goes, yeah, that's it. So he says, well, well, how did you come across this bass? And I told him that story. And he's like, well, that, well that's weird. Then he <laughs> asks me, and I'm not going to say his name because uh, yeah, I don't sure. want to make <laughs> it cause any hit, headaches there because I'm sure. Right. He Johnny made, Carson? <laughs> anyways, he goes, do you know Johnny Carson? And I said, well, yeah, sure I do. But he's not a good friend of mine or anything. Why? How do you know his name? He goes, well, this is a story I know. He was there at the show. People saw him, and they think he stole it. And I said, well, yeah, but that doesn't explain why it's here, though. He goes, well, because I lived in the slums of Beverly Hills, he decided to go to the Beverly Wilshire Hotel and he stole a $5,000 Ming vase and got it, it got caught. <laughs> he got thrown in jail. So he couldn't come back to get the base. 
Oh, you just stashed it there. You just stashed it there to come back and get oh, it afterwards. Geez. So yeah, that's he was on a whole criminal run that night. Uh, he was obviously, and uh, but I never heard from him. He never came back going, "You son of a bitch, where's the base?" Nothing, you know. So I don't know if he stayed in jail all this time or. But uh, but they uh, you collected the reward. Oh though. yeah, he wrote me the check right then and there, and and after that, I you know because at that time the uh, Continental uh, Hyatt House was the place to party. I I called them. I said I want to book. Uh, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna spend. Yeah. I'm gonna spend all this money and have the good for you, man. And how old are you? How 17, old are you? Seventeen. Yeah, why not? Yeah, or sixteen. I can't remember. So one of those. <laughs> I was probably sixteen. Yeah, because yeah. Anyways, so I did. I, I bought this room. All kinds of you know contraband and alcohol and just I invited everybody in in Hollywood that I knew and just like, come on stop by. <laughs> And I actually ended up getting a letter from the manager of the hotel. Thank you, Mr. Walton. That was so great that you chose the kind of Hyatt house, all this stuff. And if you want to come mm. back again, anytime, just call me. I was like, man, I thought they would just call me, you know, call the police on me more than anything that night. But, but I did. I spent all that money just on one night. I was like, you know, it was found money. I'm just going to have a good time. Good for you, man. And that's when you met Mick Jagger and Robert Plant? So uh, my Led Zeppelin story is a year earlier. So, I mean, this time in high school, I tell you, I was a nut. I, was, I just, I wanted to be rock and roll. I want to play music. I want to do music, music. I love stuff, whatever. So Led Zeppelin, I loved Led Zeppelin. I was like, I got to meet them. They're playing at the forum for three nights or whatever it was. And, you know, the Hyatt House, you know, that's where I, I learned about it. They always went there and threw TVs out the window. So I'm like, I'm going to go right. find them. I'm going to go meet them. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. You're a dumb kid. Why would you do something stupid like that? But I did. I took the bus up there and I walked in. And I was like, ah, shit, maybe I shouldn't have come. How, how am I going to find them? They're not going to tell me what room they're in, right? So I said, well, you know, there's a, I know there's a pool on the roof. I'll just get in the elevator. I'll go up there and see if they're up there, right? So I get on the elevator. No one else is on the elevator. It goes up one floor, stops at the mezzanine. The door opens, and Robert Plant walks on the elevator <laughs> with, with a Speedo only and in, in tennis <laughs> shoes with his gold chains on. That's it. Uh, Bare-chested, uh. holding a soccer ball in his arms. And I'm like, <laughs> stuttering. I'm like, oh, my God, what, what do I want to say? Uh, and I wanted to say something. And I, I you know, it's like, I, I was one of those young kids that liked the the Hobbit and the Tolkien stuff, right? And they were into that. And I just thought I'd be clever. And but I went, well, hey, how's Gandalf? <laughs> 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 so he he looks at me, doesn't say a word, right? And he gets to his floor. It stops. He opens it. He gets off the elevator, and he turns around. He goes, "Hey, kid!" And I said, "Yeah." And he drop kicks his ball, hits me in my balls. Uh, the ball bounces off and rolls out of the elevator. The doors close. <laughs> That's my story. And, but so here, That's I was assault, man. <laughs> so uh, I was in, um, you know, with the Dream Syndicate. I've had two opportunities now to meet John Paul Jones, and he played with us both nights. Um, nice. Yeah, real nice guy, real good guy. Uh, I didn't really talk to him much on the first night except for saying, yeah, that was really great. You, know, you never played that song before. And he goes, yeah, I've done this before. That was his response to me. You know, <laughs> trying to be funny. And I'm like, yeah, yeah whatever. But we All went right. and played a show up in the Arctic Circle. 
and uh, we you know did a, you know one of our songs from one of our albums, and they recorded it. So it's on YouTube. You can go see it and watch them play with us. But uh, after that show, I was like, man, I gotta tell you this story. So I told it to him, and uh, the whole room was aghast. They're like, you you really. <laughs> You did that, and he looked at me, and I said, "Did you did did Robert ever tell you that story?" And he's like, "No, but I'm going to ask him." So that that kind of brought it all the way around. So Robert, did he admit to doing that? Well, I haven't talked to uh, John Paul Jones since I asked him if he, you know, when he said he was going to ask him. But uh, I, I kind of believe that he won't ask him. But we'll find out someday. Sure, sure. How could you remember? I mean, he's probably kicked, uh, you know, kicked a soccer ball into so many teenagers. Uh, well, you know, I, you don't hear about that kind of stuff, though. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't blame him. That's that's my point. I just think you know, I was a completely stupid little kid trying to you know meet his heroes and uh, it's like a girl you know you're trying to get on a date and you, you know you're so awkward you don't know what to say and you, you put your foot in your mouth you want to tell the mick jagger story you- well i don't know the mick jagger is a very quick story really i had a friend of mine in high school that uh, his father owned the beverly wilshire hotel and the beverly hills hotel and he lived there in one of the maid suites or whatever they had and one night he's like hey mark there's a really good party come to the room so and so and i was like Oh, okay. So I, I was on a date with this girl and we, we go to the hotel and knock on the door and the door opens and it's Mick Jagger. And the girl drops her purse on the ground and, and with her mouth aghast and won't move. He's like, come on in. And she's like, <laughs> and finally, you know, I, I couldn't get her to move. She just, I was like, come on. She's just frozen solid. And, uh, he finally says, okay, well, if you change your mind, you know, and he shuts the door. And that was it. She, <laughs> she, she wouldn't go in. She just refused to go into the, into the room. So that's that's that story. I that's weird. That's weird. You know, she she's such a fan that she just froze. Or- yeah, she just froze. She was like, ah. Oh, she's starstruck. In there. Starstruck. And she, she was like, I can't go in there. And I was like, whatever. Go ahead. Right, right. But so you never got to go to that party. I didn't go in. No, I was I was kind of upset because I was driving, so I you know I, I could just leave her in the hallway all night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, sure. You know, I try to be a a good guy. I, you know, I'm be a total dick, like some people we know. There's no reward in being good guys. I found that out a long time ago. Wait, wait, Manny, Manny, you were a good guy. Is that what you're trying to tell me? No, I, oh, okay. yeah, I guess, yeah, I tried, yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask about that myself. <laughs> no reward of being a good guy. Well, those are those are rock and roll stories. There's there's a thousand more like that, but those are the ones that Kyle told you to ask me about. Right, right, right. Yes. Okay. Well, good, good. Kyle, Kyle has. Uh, we, we've we've met Kyle's request for, on that one. <laughs> now, who is Kyle? I'll say thank you, Kyle, for for, for that. Who I is Kyle? Kyle is the 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 drummer that we had on a couple of weeks ago. Plays with the Imagination Movers. Oh played, yeah, played Dash yeah. Rock for twenty years. Yeah, yes, he's yes, a uh, good guy. We he's like. He's a very good yeah, guy. Kyle, yeah, we Kyle's a Kyle. very very nice guy. We, we all appreciate Kyle very much. Oh yeah. Well, uh, again, you're you're back playing with the Dream Syndicate. You guys are doing dates uh, periodically. You're you're as 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 much as the uh, the current situation allows. 
and uh, and you're you're working there in Vegas, uh, uh, working in the the gaming industry. You said, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because my company is divested. You know, they're divesting the divisions of the company, and now uh, it looks like I'm going because we we also do lottery and uh, sports betting and all kinds of different stuff. So they're selling off some of that stuff. Do you ever have to go out to the desert and just do things? Yeah, I, I mean, I, on the west side over here, I just go up to Red Rock Canyon all the time, just sit there, and, or go hiking and. and walk, no, I'm talking the- about getting rid of things in the desert, like a body, Manny. Is that what you're referring? To? I'm not saying that, Renee. You're saying that. I'm just no, asking no, I'm, I'm our just, guests. Uh, you I, ever I, have to go? You know, dig a hole. I, I haven't done that recently. No. Good for you. If he has, he's not going to admit to it. Yeah, there there was podcast. a story. I don't know if it's a national story, but there was a, a gentleman that was caught speeding and uh, they tried to chase him down. He went to a parking garage and he switched cars and he was in a truck and they, they pull him over finally and they arrest him and they find in the back of the truck a severed head and three limbs. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, I, I, I don't know where they came from. I just stole the vehicle. They were there when I stole it. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm curious to where this story is going, but it's it's pretty new news. It's it's in the last week. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah. What what happened to the fourth limb? Is well, what I, I don't know. You know there was but, just some limbs right. and a head. And well, was- we have a limb story here in New Orleans recently, uh, out in the lower ninth or the ninth, higher ninth or whatever ninth, what do you want? They found a uh, a torso and um, uh, what was it, Renee? A torso and a head in somebody's freezer in the ninth ward. Oh, I I, I saw that. Uh, I didn't really dig into that, but uh, oh, yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's grizzly, it, man. It's grizzly in the new year, man. Oh, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. New Orleans is not a good city, right? You know, it's it's a horrible place. It's it's you know. Well, you know, know I, I miss it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I miss it like I miss Jock Itch. You well, know. <laughs> you live there, so that's yeah. different. Yeah. I live here, which I, I, you know, it's not my city. You know, the, if, if there's a good band playing, they always cancel them because not enough people buy tickets. But wasn't there in Vegas like a few months ago, there was some like punk rock festival? Well, that's every year. Yeah, that, that punk rock bowling, it's called. Yeah. And it's actually, it was put on by these two kids that I knew in, in elementary school. Mm. And uh, and I actually hadn't seen them since then, and I actually was able to see him and say hello for the first time in many years. Do they owe you money? No, I did okay. sell. I did sell him and his brothers a, a bass amp, though, and I think they paid full price. I don't know. Good. Okay. Yeah, I know Vegas has a good punk rock scene. Yeah, it does. I mean, for these things, they they've been doing this for years now. So, and it, like I said, this is uh, the show that I went to. Uh, Carlo came out. Yeah, uh, Carlo was there, and yeah. Morty was there. Yep, and um, a lot of people were there. Yes, yeah, so our old friends were all hanging out, not talking to each other, but they're all there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, circling each other. <laughs> right, right. They all they had a big trailer as a dressing room, and they all were in different rooms. So I had to like visit them independently because they all didn't want to come out into the main room. <laughs> you were the peacemaker. <laughs> I was like, "Hi, Greg. Hey, hey, Keith. Hey, you know." Yeah, it was it was, it was quite fun. But uh, well, listen, man, you've been fabulous. Yes, yes, Mark. Thank you so much. I'm I'm 
so glad that we got you on finally on the Troubled Men podcast, and uh, and you know you've been very forthcoming. And I know you we could have you on a part two uh, some somewhere <laughs> down the line, and and dig into all the rest of these rock and roll stories. Well, yeah, again, it might be better in person where, where we can actually sit and drink and actually talk through it all. Well, sometime in the future, we'll be able to do these in person, and maybe when you're visiting New Orleans, we'll we'll schedule yeah, that. That for would that be time. that would be fantastic. That sounds great. Thank you, Mark. And by the way, I want to make a plug. The Dream Syndicate's got a brand new record coming out in June, so keep an eye out for it. This will be our fourth fourth record since 2017, since we started making records again. Man, you guys wow. are cracking them out. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like a lot of music. Yeah, we've been very productive. We just go in the studio and just spew it out there, and, and they're all great. The last one is a fantastic record called the universe inside it was done from an hour and a half jam that we did and then we added horns and uh, other instruments and, and wrote lyrics and, and uh, uh it's 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 one of my favorite records i've ever made so check that one wow yeah. can you give us kendra's contact info because uh, i've <laughs> got a thing for her well you know a lot of people do in fact i'll tell you that uh every time i play and through through 2000 12. Every uh -huh. time I've played with them, there's always somebody in the audience that goes, where's Kendra? Where's the girl? And I'm like, <laughs> That's me. That's yeah. me. <laughs> so there's always you in the audience. And, and, you know, I told Steve, you know, when we started doing the reunions, I was like, I'm going to start wearing a dress and <laughs> just, just to fuck with everybody a little bit. But I, I actually never did, but I, I might threaten to do that at some point. There you go. Uh, there that's, you that's go. A, that's a Thank image. you, buddy. Thank you for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Take care, you guys. And Mark, as always, uh, on the Troubled Men podcast, we say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. So good night. Good night. Nobody's home. Drive downtown to this bar I know Drinking alone Won't get me where I wanna go In a smoke-filled room There's people playing cool Everything's gonna be alright Okay.